The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. to the Public Market Advisory Commission meeting. It is 5.32, and uh, Stephanie, could you do the roll call? Yes. Uh, Commissioner Young. Here. Commissioner Wolf. Here. Commissioner Ouellette. Here. Hello. Um, Commissioner Farrell is absent, and Commissioner Nemeth is absent at the moment as well. All right, so our next item is the approval of the agenda. Does anyone have any additions or changes to our agenda for this meeting? Hearing none, can I get a motion to approve? I move to approve. 
I second. <laughs> we'll take that as a second. <laughs> Everybody who, uh, let's have a vote. Either raise your hand or say aye. Aye. Approve. Approve. Aye. Thank you. <laughs> Any objections? And here comes Jeff. So we'll, we can wait for him. Hi, Jeff. Hi. We, we just approved the agenda. So now we're on to the first public comment. All right. Let me see if we have any attendees, any people that want to participate in public comment. I am not seeing any as of right now. Okay, great. Um, I did get a letter comment. Um, would now be a good time just to read it? It's pretty quick. Sure. Okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, the comment I got was um, we need in-person meetings um, for PMAC and they would like to continue with the winterization plans, um, radiant heat to start with, and then finally do not allow buy and sell at the market. Um, so in, again, like strong producer only guidelines. Um, and that was the all of the comment. I don't know if she would want like me to say who it was or not. So I'm just going to read the comment and leave it at that. And if she'd like to say more later, then that would be okay. Well, I think, unfortunately, part of the rule is for public comment, people de do need to identify themselves. Um, okay. Um, okay. So that was a comment from Debbie Marks. Um, okay. They are just right. Perfect. Thank you. And I just want to acknowledge that Debbie had an um, email that, that, or that had submitted a letter for the December meetings uh, that we, mm -hmm. we didn't get, but we, or we didn't have the meeting, but we all uh, got a copy of it that reiterates the, the winterization um, topic as well. And I actually spoke with her about this like two markets ago too. So yes, right. we're all in there. Okay, great. I'm not seeing anyone else wanting to participate in the public comment. All right. So uh, the next is the approval of the minutes um, from the previous meeting. Are there any changes, alterations, anything like that? Hearing none, can I get a motion to approve the minutes from the previous, from the, so this will be from the November meeting, November. right? Yep. I move to approve. The second. Second. Thank you, Jeff. Um, all right. And let's vote on uh, the approval of the minutes. Everybody who um, approves, raise your hand or say aye. Aye. And anyone disapproving? <laughs> Sorry, I meant to approve. That's okay. We're going to take it that way. And we're loving the extra voices. So um, great. All right. So the minutes from the November meeting are approved. Um, so our next item is the regular business um, ag agenda items. Um, so there's general updates. Oops, Stephanie, you're muted. Sorry. Sorry. Um, yeah, so general updates with that. First one, 
is the annual report is live. You received a copy of it. Vendors received a copy of it a couple of weeks ago, I think is when it was. Um, it's also on the website. Um, as an addendum to that, we actually did sort of a year in review, shorter document um, that we sent with the applications in case people didn't have access to internet or email or the website. Um, and that had an, a couple additional in pieces of information that weren't in the annual report, but was mostly due to um, in memoriam passing of vendors as well as retirement of annual vendors. That was pretty much the only add-on. Um, and then the year in review that just had, you know, specific highlighted items. Um, we figured why not just send it as part of the application to make sure everyone had it. Um, so that was that. I don't know if anyone had any um, specific questions about the annual report or its contents. I don't know if people have had a chance to look at it yet. Um, I pretty much kept the same format that it had had in the past. Um, obviously, there were certain data points that we did not have because a lot of that data in 2019 came from an audit that the Michigan Farmers Market Association did of the market. Um, so we just did not have that same type of, you know, direct reporting um, in terms of economic impacts and things like that. Plus, you know, they had done surveys of the customer base that we did not have access to either. Um, so that, you know, if you were wondering why that specific data is, is missing is because we do not have it for 2022. Um, and it was sort of special that we had it um, prior. Some pretty notable things you might have seen. Um, food assistance sales, I think this may have been, you know, our highest amount ever with the $20 date limit. Obviously, it was potentially higher um, when Double Food Bucks had uh, a limitless cap in 2020 and then a $50 per day cap in 2021. Uh, but it was something around, you know, I, th I think it was like, what, $120,000 of food assistance sales alone. Um, at market this year. So that was something that we thought was really great. Um, related to that, unfortunately, the double up spending daily limit is going down to $10 per day. Um, that's actually already in effect as of July or January 15th. Um, so we are working on ways to increase outreach to make sure people do know that. Um, and again, that was due to the state of Michigan not giving anywhere near as much funding to the program as they thought. Specifically, they were anticipating $4 million. Um, they got about $880,000. Um, so unfortunately, it's a program that a lot of people are utilizing, especially right now. Um, but again, you know, we're strategizing to see ways that we can work around that. Um, any other annual report specifics that you wanted a little bit more background on or more context of? It really just talked about like the food truck rallies, our special events that we had, um, you know, different community partnerships that we were doing, what our impact was, and, you know, things of that nature. And then some also some updated Greenbelt um, and farm <laughs> statistics I added to that section as well. Yeah, I want to thank you for doing it. It was great to see those numbers, especially the food assistance numbers. And I'm, I'm sad that the state has not continued its support for for those things. Yes, 
And we did have our countywide market managers meeting yesterday. And one of the main orders of business was strategies to see if there's any way that at least for 2024, um, we could maybe see if there's capacity to have us encourage um, a re regaining of the funding. Um, so that's something that we are working on as market managers countywide as well. And were there any ideas that you can share, Stephanie? From what we had talked about? Yeah, I, I mean, how, how do we advocate for more funding for this? I mean, you know, writing to your legislator is a huge one, right? Putting pressure specifically on the Agriculture Committee, um, especially with the, the looming retirement of Senator Stabenow. Um, this is going to be even more important mm -hmm. um, because, again, we have had a very strong voice for Michigan agriculture this whole time. Um, and that is, you know, going to be going away um, in the next couple of years. So that is a place that folks playing along at home um, could easily help uh, with that and letting people know how important excuse me, this program is. I will say that the governor's office, they have actually increased the allowances for EBT. They've given people bonuses once in the early fall, once around the holiday time. So they're actually putting more funding in the EBT side of it, um, but it's just not the double up food book side is not keeping pace. Um, so that's something also to keep in mind that we have people that are in favor of these food assistance programs. I'm just not sure that they understand how important double up food books specifically is to farmers and markets. Great, thank you. The one other thing I noticed, and this might be not be the place to talk about it when I was comparing the 2019 and the 2022, it looks like for total vendors, there's 10 less vendors in 2022. And I was glad to uh, see that there wasn't a huge decrease, but I didn't know if um, there was anything specifically you wanted to say about that. Was that due to retirement? Um, are there some daily vendors that just decided it wasn't worth doing the, the farmer's market? Just just uh, generalities that we don't have to go into specifics. Yeah, I mean, it was almost all annual vendor retirements and people passing away, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of that also doesn't necessarily reflect how many people we have been adding. I mean, we've been adding a whole lot uh, of people, but, you know, some of it is also pandemic related where yeah. people's businesses are no longer viable. Um, so we've lost maybe like, what, two or three maybe daily vendors that have gone in different ways are no longer operating. Um, but the vast, vast majority of that number is unfortunately annual vendor retirements and people passing on. Um, I did talk a little bit more about that in the end of it when I talked about, you know, how currently in Washtenaw County and Michigan wide as well, um, the average age of farmers is 57 and a half. Um, and we're at the tough reality of we're not replacing old or older farmers or more established farms fast enough, right? There's something like four times as many farmers above the age of 65 as there are under the age of 35 in Michigan right now. Um, and we've lost thousands of farms over the last 10 years. Um, so you know, that's a tough, tough topic, but I think that's more reflective of what's going on. And it's not really, you know, that we're not keeping people or people don't like the market. I mean, it's still very competitive. We still turn tons of applicants away um, just because we don't have space. So it, it's more just, you know, the sad reality of our aging farmer population. Great. Thank you.
Um, and then the next on your list is the 2023 applications. I don't know if you want to say. All right. Else. Yes. Um, yeah. So the applications have been mailed out. Some folks have actually already started to get them in. We've seen the first, you know, three or four. Um, the deadline for those are March 1st to have them back to us. Um, and then farmers and vendors will be getting invoicing um, from the city. And the payment deadline for that is June 30th. Um, this is back to what it was last year. The only year that it was really disrupted on these dates was 2020 due to the closure, due to the lockdown of the pandemic. Um, but you know, that's pretty standard stuff. As with last year, we will be invoicing daily vendors as well. Um, part of the push to do that is it is more economical for daily vendors to pay uh, yearly. The other part is it's a lot easier for finance to handle our invoicing um, when it is issued in this way. So that's something that we were doing last year, but that's also continuing. And of course, annual vendors, as previously, are required to continue to pay yearly um, for their stalls and parking fees. Um, Stephanie, yeah. I have not looked yet um, at the fees, but I was wondering if they were staying about the same this year or if there was any thought of changing them in the near future? No, about this no. Cool. no. Our big push to change it went into effect last year. Um, so the, those prices are staying the same. Because that was mostly to deal with our loss of revenue due to being closed um, from the pandemic. And no, the only thing we have thought about is we're probably going to, to increase the food truck fees, food truck rally fees specifically um, by $5 for each category. But in terms of regular vendors, we are not raising fees. Right. Again, that is. <laughs> All right. The next thing on the list is the winter projects in progress. All right. So yes, in process. So we have a lot of things going on. One of them, the big one, obviously, is the applications. Um, the other one is making sure that all of our materials online, whether that be the application for new vendors, whether that be food truck stuff, whether that be CSA listing. So we're in process of updating all of that. We've updated large portions of the website um, already. With that said, there is coming down the turnpike a complete overhaul of all the parks website and websites that are under that umbrella. Um, so, you know, that will be happening sometime this year. We're not sure exactly, you know, how drastically it may change things or if it's just going to be rolled out slowly. Um, but, you know, keep in mind that is on the approach. But for right now, Alex and I, um, are working on updating our CSA information specifically both for um, the website as well as for people that want to participate in the city CSA program. We're also hoping to bring back the CSA day this year. Um, we hadn't done it the last couple years because of the pandemic, um, but that's an email we've already sent out to try and schedule, you know, when in April folks want to have the CSA day again um, and make it more of like, you know, an actual event not just telling people there's a brochure <laughs> available at certain tables. Um, and in terms of that, we're also updating all of our marketing materials. Um, we're trying to do a bigger push for that. We've been trying to 
market hard, the winter market being open, and the last few markets have been great. They've been very highly attended um, here, all these January markets in particular, much higher than the last couple markets in December. Uh, you know, Christmas, Christmas Eve market will go <laughs> down in history as uh, five vendors, the most diehard vendors ever in that frigid day where, we, uh, where the blizzard was happening all around us, but not here. Um, additionally, what else did I say? Yeah, we're also doing other outreach. Um, multiple people have been reaching out to us about food trucks having happening at other parks, other sites, um, including Fort Huron River Day and other events around the city. So we've been working on that. And then obviously, too, uh, we're trying to clean out and organize the office more, which is a perennial effort. Um, and it, you know, we're trying to digitize any other files that have not made it that way yet. Um, we keep finding folders that someone left for us before any of us started working at the market. Um, so that's what we've been working on uh, when we are sort of on our downtime. And of course, to our events calendar, right? This is a time of year that if anyone has any suggestions, ideas for events, um, this is the time that we're trying to schedule them. We're definitely planning on still having Flower Day, same day, Sunday of Memorial Day weekend. Uh, we're still planning on having the food truck rallies uh, July through October, third Wednesdays. As I said, we're bringing back CSA Day. Um, and the other thing which is exciting is we've been in talks with Edible Wow to bring back um, the once monthly cooking demonstrations with local chefs. So that's something that we haven't done in a couple of years. Um, but we, Alex and I had a meeting with them um, just last week about what that could look like. Um, so we're excited at the prospect of bringing that out. We haven't chosen a specific day yet, um, but that will likely be June through September that those cooking demos will be coming back to market. And I think in terms of our winter projects, the other things of course are just inventorying things that need repairs, um, you know, other things that we haven't gotten to or the pandemic has disrupted. Um, so, you know, just sort of winter. Everyone else does spring cleaning at the market. We do winter cleaning. So that's just how it goes. And I think that's all I have for our winter projects uh, item. I wonder if you could say a little bit more about the advertising for the winter market, because that's something that's always been a problem. And still, I'm always amazed that people are like, oh, the market's still open. It's like, uh, you know, <laughs> that I don't know how we could reach more people to let them know. It doesn't, it seems like, I don't know. It seems like it slips so pe people's yeah. minds. They don't see plants outside, so they assume that yeah. everything's dead. There's nothing here. And so, Well, exactly. And I think you get to the heart of it. It is an outreach issue about what local produce is available. You know, people might think, oh, it's just apples. I don't, which are, it's fantastic. But, you know, if you already have apples, there's only so many more apples. But there's been so much diversity of products. It's been great. And part of that is the mildness of the winter. Things Things like spinach have been growing slightly faster than in a frigid cold day. Um, I don't know if it's also a January boost where people are still riding high from those uh, New Year's resolutions <laughs> to eat healthier. Uh, I don't know if that's part of it, but you know, whatever we've been doing, it's been working for January. We've been having really great days uh, the last three markets, hoping to continue that. Um, but what I've been doing is a lot of the times we had the Edible Wow um, advertisements that we created and we pretty much just turned those into flyers and we've been posting those 
in more visible places that hadn't been done in a while. Um, of course, on our Instagram and Facebook, we've been trying to get the word out uh, more often, I guess. But you're right, it is still an uphill battle with people thinking it's winter, there's no food in Michigan, when of course, you know, that's very much not the case. So we're working on it. I got to the market a little late last weekend, and and it was really nice to see the diversity that there were quite a few young people there as the students mm -hmm. came back too. Yep, and it's still if you get there late, you know most of the produce is already sold out. So sorry, <laughs> but it's <laughs> we you know, and of course it's that time of year too, or that is that sort of like wait, is it open at seven or eight? Um, and we've had some people come like really early, like wait, you're not open yet? Uh, and I think it's just that learning curve. Um, but you're right. I've talked to people that have lived in Ann Arbor for decades and they're like, wait, there's a market in the winter. Like they still don't have any concept. Um, so, you know, we're working on it, but help us spread the word. That would be great. But yeah, I think that's all that I have on that item. Great. Thank you. I'm excited to see the calendar of events. So, um, and the next thing on the agenda is the the 3.30 Detroit demolition. Yes. So if you have been down there, you have seen that the demolition has begun. Um, the former Teriyaki Time and DeLong's Barbecue building is gone. The former Teal building that was next door to Detroit Street and the North Star Lounge is gone. There's a giant fence there. Um, there was a little bit of a snafu early on when whoever was in charge of closing the streets off closed the wrong part uh, of fifth off and they had actually incidentally blocked the parking lot um, from the Carytown side of the building. Uh, so luckily they were able to rectify that pretty quickly. But for, for a minute there, they had almost closed off all of fifth, that entire stretch between Kingsley and Catherine, which, you know, somewhat problematic. So now it's been fixed and it's just closed off from Detroit um, to Catherine. And, you know, we still have had really no sign of work during market days. We're hoping to keep that the same. Um, obviously, we'll play it by ear when Wednesday market starts back up. And, you know, if it's going to be too loud, we'll have to figure out other strategies, um, other sort of arrays of where people can be located. But we're going to cross that bridge when we come to it. As of right now, you know, there has been no... Uh, disruption from that construction on market. So Stephanie, most of the work has just been demolition. So they haven't, yes. as I remember, right. they're, they're digging down at least one, maybe two stories worth. Yep. So it's going to turn into a huge hole, yes. right? Yeah. I mean, it is already sort of a gaping hole where teriyaki time was. Um, but yes, they'll be removing and remediating the site because it was a brownfield due to the two gas stations that used to be in that location way back when. Um, so yeah, it is quite a large project. There's also some geothermal that is buried under part of it um, that will have to be repurposed. So yeah, it's a large undertaking, but again, you know, we're hoping that it's minimally disruptive to market on Saturdays. And I mean, this is sort of the upside of them starting so late on the project. We didn't really see any impact at all um, for 2022, you know, hopefully we keep, keep that going. And by the time it's May, you know, a lot of the really dusty problematic, um, stuff is done, but 
you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Great. Thank you. Um, and the next item is um, repairs. Yes. So there was a project that many people probably didn't notice because it was going on inside the office building. Um, there was some da water damage and a little bit of black mold um, that we were waiting for a while to fix. Uh, and now it has finally been completed. I think maybe what happens is when the other facilities are closed and we're the only one open, that's when a lot of our things that we need to have happen um, occur. But that's great. We were very excited that the plaster has been repaired, it's been repainted. We've re returned our veteran vendor portraits to the wall where they were. Um, and that's something that, you know, we're really happy that's finally completed that for a while there was just sort of very dusty and made it so that we couldn't you know have all of our vendor pictures on the wall um and it just was unpleasant for us but you know no one probably noticed that unless they came in um with that said as i mentioned before we're compiling uh, a list for our spring repairs um and that's going to be sort of folded into um a gentleman who's working on the solar one of the solar consultants came by the market, I believe his name is Chuck. Don't quote me on that. Um, he came a few weeks ago and they're actually starting to do their assessment uh, about the second array of solar that will be going on our roof. Um, and with that said, in order to be able to put that array up, there's going to be a lot of repairs um, that do need to occur due to, you know, sort of just rusting on columns and repainting of roofs and things like that. Um, so we're going to try to fold in any repairs we have to do also with that project, hopefully also capturing some of that funding for solar, uh, in the process, um, and sort of doing that. So I'm kind of waiting for them to give me their full assessment listing, uh, of repairs that they noticed, um, so that we can kind of combine forces and move forward uh, on that one. Cause that, and they're, planning on doing it in the middle aisle, so-called Dead Man's Alley, uh, as well as a portion of the main aisle roof as well. So they're going to be like the other ones in terms of being on the roof. It's just a question of, you know, are they going to be the same style as the one that we had in 2010? Probably not, because there's been a lot of solar developments uh, in the technology since then. Uh, but, you know, it's too early for me to say any more about that. We're just waiting for details at this point. But you know, it was great to see um, the consultant out there doing the assessment. So, um, do we know where the electric that is going to be produced from that is that all going to the market? I mean, you know, it already sort of does, and then the rest gets sold mm -hmm. back into the grid. I don't mm -hmm. know the full details because, again, this may be impacted by whether or not. Um, the solar utility for the city goes through or not. Remember, we had that presentation um, about it last year. So I think that is maybe stuff that they know, but maybe have not shared with, with us. So I'm not sure exactly, but I think, yes, you know, whatever solar needs we have can be powered by that. And then the rest will be either sold back to the grid or sold into the uh, city solar utility that will be created. If that's is, is there, um, I know we had gotten away from it kind of recently, but um, when we were talking about 
possible heating for the market. And I think one of the requirements was that it would probably have to be from a solar or renewable energy. Do we know if that ties in at all? Uh, yeah, yeah, it would, and it wouldn't necessarily just be solar, it would have to be electric to be in line with H2 zero goals. Um, so it couldn't necessarily be gas per se. Um, but I'm not sure what the wiggle room is for that. Because again, the city is in a huge push now to require all new construction to be fully electric. Um, but then of course, the issue with that is the grid itself is not robust enough um, to handle it. Uh, and what are some strategies that the city is taking more broadly um, to reduce those pressures? Because again, what the, what in essence it would create would be a situation where yes, we might not be pulling from our own city grid, but we may be relying on grids in the surrounding areas, which would then you know increase their emissions for our use, right? So it, it creates sort of an equity issue too. And I think that's something that the city is still trying to figure out and there is an OSI person who is actually in the building department as well as the green building expert within the Office of Sustainability, um, where I think they're helping, you know, work through those issues. So in essence, yes, it still constrains us that we would need it to be either fully electrified, um, whether that comes from solar or whatever source is up in the air. But yeah, I think, you know, the gas heat line may be difficult. Um, but still, I'm waiting to hear back from the park's planners on if they have any updates for me. Great. Yeah, I was just curious if if the extra energy that we were able to generate with this new solar might be enough um, to help uh, with powering something with the project we had been talking yeah. about. But um, it yeah. might be a little early to say. It's early to say, but that's a great question. Um, and it's one that, you know, I will ask them once I get uh, that list of repairs back from them. Right. That's it. That's exciting. <laughs> I also keep thinking about those geothermal wells that we learned about when they were talking right. about the construction project. And uh, if if we need heat, can those be a source of it too? But that that was so is vague. a little bit, I think the issue there is that, you know, that's private, a private property per se, like, and it's not, so I'm not sure, um, yeah. but interesting question. Yeah. I think that's all we can do is just keep asking questions. Right. Yes. Great. Okay. All righty. And then you had mentioned that you were compiling a list of spring repairs. Yeah. Yep. And ordinarily, you know, it's pretty much like walking around the market and seeing where the concrete is crumbling this time. Um, and that's what's interesting about this is, you know, we identify ones, they fix it, and then we see three more. So it's just the nature of our older space um, that we're going to be continually having to do these sort of routine repairs. And, you know, we have to wait till spring because in the event that it may get cold, even though today it was almost 50 degrees, uh, that that's something that we need to, to keep in mind. So if there's anything else that people can think of that we may have missed, that vendors have seen and maybe have told you about, Stephanie or Jeff, or you've seen, um, please let us know. We're trying to be as thorough as possible with the walkthrough and giving them a specific itemized list of, you know, concrete cracked in X stall. Um, it's also looking pretty bad over by the vendor parking area on the back side of the office. 
Um, and they're aware of that. I think it just needs to be submitted as a, you know, kind of like a big list so they can do a larger undertaking. Um, there's also been, you know, a few issues with the water pressure uh, in the office and in the bathrooms. Uh, they were out to work on that this week. I know that the urinal was having problems in the men's room. It kept sort of looking like it was going to overflow, but then wouldn't. But then uh, I think it was just an issue of a, a valve needing replacement. So, you know, basic things like that we're doing. But the main focus, I think, is probably fixing concrete. Um, you know, obviously the most trippable and problematic areas around the market. Is there some mechanism for soliciting from the vendors? Uh, just kind of their, their any, you know, it's like a feedback box or a, a repair box of fix it? Because that might be useful that they're in it for longer. It's like, oh, but only every three minutes, there's something else the weird that goes over here. Or maybe harder for um, you to see. Not formally. I mean, you know, most times people will tell us, they'll say, hey, look at this right here. You know, the sidewalk's not even, my stall is sinking. It was higher before, you know, so people are very active in terms of talking to us on about these things. Um, and the door they know is always open, but I, cause I just worry if we put like a comment box or something, you know, that might not necessarily be that constructive, I guess. Um, just in terms of like what people might put as commentary, not serious things. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about the feedback we got when we put the feminine products in all of the bathrooms, we got, you know, a lot of sort of not constructive <laughs> comments. Um, but it's an interesting idea, but that's sort of why I'm putting a call out to Stephanie and Jeff and anyone else that talks to vendors, if there's anything we missed, which we probably didn't because we're doing a walk walkthrough and we try to be on it. Um, but yeah, just let us know. And actually just to clarify with that too, I've been trying to figure out for just general process, kind of how to group that. Is it just that they should bring those to you? Is that how yes. that should go? Mm -hmm. okay. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Cause then just email we, you or call you or drop off in just person. Yep. Yeah. Or just talk okay. to us in person. Yeah. Because what we have to do is then we have to submit a work order um, to park operations and then that's why there's a lot of delays sometimes because then we are on their schedule in terms of what is being repaired, right? Because with all the different facilities, all the different parks, um, and they're also very short staffed. So they're pulled in multiple directions, but yes, that's the process. Let us know, we put in a work order um, and then the ball is rolling from there. That's usually how it works. Great, thank you. Yep. And the next thing is the rules update. So sign-in process um, and yes. all the rest of the things. All the things. Yes. So the first the first two non-controversial ones, we'll say, is the sign-in process on the transfer of seniority. I'm waiting to hear back from legal um, for that. That's our sticking point. I'm waiting to hear from them that that has got the green light. And once it does, we'll be able to present that to council. Um, I submitted the request for the sign-in process one uh, back in October. Uh, <laughs> if it gives you any a sense of the timeline. Um, so I did check back in with the lawyers who are looking at it um, earlier this month. Who I think the person that was assigned to it was has actually on leave, um, but it's on their radar. So we're just waiting for them uh, on the green light for that. 
and then we can get it into council and then we can get that, you know, officially changed because again, these are changed, but we're still waiting for that final stamp of approval. So that was my, the two pieces of that transfer seniority. That's also really easy because that was just a numeric change that doesn't have any legal impact uh, at all. So, um, but then the other one was we were sort of partially uh, done with the conversation with the artisan. So I didn't know if we wanted to just kind of table that for now and just keep it at the, the 12 that we had talked about or, or no, I mean, excuse me, we're moving it up from the 12 that we had had. And I just didn't know if people wanted to talk about that anymore, or if you figured, you know, it was good enough, what we had decided before um, with allowing the two stalls for the vendors that wanted it. So it would bring it up to 18 uh, and then just calling it good. But that was just sort of my not sure, you know, where you all wanted to go with that. Moving into 2023. Um, I had just one thought on that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think I sent an email a while ago just my concern was um about the yeah when new vendors are moving into the new stalls and that it eventually could become um those 18 spots get filled up again with like single vendor artisan vendor stalls and then we're back to the same problem um so i think my only question was did it make more sense again to like limit the number of artisan stalls to 12 or 13 and then say that they are allowed to have a second stall or did we just want to um, do the the 18 stalls and then address that later um because it I mean that's pretty far down the road when we might yep. see that yep. kind of result so um that yep. was all mm -hmm. yep yeah I think that's a good way to present the decision yep And I do agree with Stephanie too, that it seems like with Stephanie Willett, of that that seems like it just to not set us up for a conflict in the future. It, so it would essentially be that we'd fix the number of annual artisan vendors and they can have one or two stalls. Yeah. And so that fits, it's continuous with where we are now and it does keep that in and it doesn't set up a problem in the future with uh, the conflict that we could have of squeezing everyone in just one stall. Um, so that, it still doesn't solve any of the long-term stuff of that it's a two-track system and that's another, but at least it it doesn't yeah. create another problem. It doesn't create a third problem. <laughs> right. Okay. That's what I figured. I just wanted to make sure we had a chance to rehash that if necessary. So right. Stephanie, I think that sounds sounds good, but um, I'm thinking about the actual document of the operating rules. So there is that section that says the limited number of stalls for artisans. Mm -hmm. So would that just be struck from the operating rules? And in the section above, it would just say that the the number of annual artisans would be 13 and they are allowed to request two stalls. I think that's the, I think that's the the question. What would that say? So let me pull up uh, what it currently says and what in the edits that we did. Give me just one second. 
right. Okay, so back in November, we were talking about all these things, and this is me buying time <laughs> to pull it up. Okay, so again, um, you know, it had this thing of the 13 being the number, so that what we had done in the edit is that we had changed um, artisan section letter B. Can you share your screen? Are you oh, sharing yes. your screen? Sure. Good point. Oh, right. I think it's this one. Yep. So you can see what is highlighted. The change that we had had um, B saying an artisan with annual vendor status may be assigned a maximum of two stalls annually. And then C was the other item, which we had said, you know, the total number of stalls shall be 18. And then the total number of stalls available shall be 124, right? And that was to be updated both by the removal of the ghost stalls that don't actually exist um, and also reflective of the specific vendors that wanted. So we took out the 12 and turned it 18. We made the one stall to two. Um, and that was the number. This is kind of like how we left it. And for me, you know, the 18 number of stalls, my only concern is if we, you know, don't have a cap at all, then does that really address the concerns that many people have shared with us? Um, that there would in essence then be nothing you know, constraining artisans from getting more than that amount, right? And obviously that begs the question of, you know, we're clearly letting in way less artisans as a proportion of the market as is, but that's, I think, where we left this. Is that something that needs to be, you know, sort of written into the market manager sort of directives or suggestions, or is that something that needs to be, um, fleshed out here. And I think that's kind of where we where we left it specifically on letter C. Because B, you know, that one's clear. Um so I so, guess I would move forward the C being the total instead of saying the total number of stalls, just have the total number of annual vendor artisans will be X. And so then that so so and that that does I hear what you're saying, but I think it does seem like having it be something in a rule versus a directive, because it does seem that yeah. inevitably if it's a directive, then it's like, well, if I'm, you know, it becomes this kind of jockeying for positions and that it's it's not clear and that's not fair. And mm -hmm. there's which is true, it can feel less good versus like, okay, here's right, here's a concrete number, you can count them up. One, two, three, four, five. We've got <laughs> this is inconsistent with the rules. We're set. Right. Um, so I think right. that that would be a protection for the market manager and also for the vendors knowing what they're getting into in terms of it's not like it's squishy. And it, 10 years might be totally different depending on who's in and if they, who right. knows their personalities. So that, that, that seems a better solution to me. Yeah. And also just to remind people in terms of artisan vendors with daily status, there's Stephen Kennard, there's Vogue Vogue, there's Tiani, and there is uh, Zilch Apothecary. And that's it. So, you know, I understand the sort of long-term, long-term concern that maybe this could turn into 18. 
um, you know, total annual artisans. But at this moment, we don't even have that many artisans total at the market. Um, so it's just but something that, to think about. The 18 is the number of stalls. And I, I Correct. think we are talking about taking out the number of stalls and then just having a cap on the number of annual artisan vendors. So that then takes the stalls out of the equation. And yes, if we agree on 13 as the number for the annual artisan vendors, then there may be uh, 26 stalls total that go to annual artisan vendors. But I, I think this then avoids that problem of some annual artisan vendors have two stalls and some have one that they are assigned. And um, I think it would make everybody's life easier if we just go to saying this is the cap on, you know, a maximum of 13 annual artisan vendors. Sure, but it just gets into the complexity of that 13 number originally was just supposed to be in place until you know the next person in line gets in there then it was going to revert back to 12. so there's also that other conversation <laughs> um right. that was happening prior to this and i think the other reason that we had talked about before of having a specific number um is to it's to make people more calm that are not artisans to make them no longer worried that they felt like they would be taking, getting a stall taken away. Um, but, you know, I can see it, see it from both sides. And if you think it's easier to just say, um, change C completely uh, and just saying it, the total number of artisans available is 13, but does that not then simply reinforce the two tier system as well? I don't know if it Whereas does it any more than having 18 yeah. stalls. It's like they're, they're, it, it's there regardless. So. But the 18 is a little more flexible, right? Because well, like Stephanie said, what if somebody had two stalls goes down to one, then that opens one more space for a single stall artisan, right? So um, I don't know. But it also then creates the thing of like, but wait, vendors, other vegetable produce can have two and three stalls and we can only have one. Well, that's because there's only, so it's, it's it's tricky, but yeah, I, I well they can you. still have a maximum of two stalls. That part's not changing. It would just be like that's what's available, and that's how it works already, right? You know, at the, as there's one stall available, somebody who might have two stalls, they can't automatically have two stalls, right? They have to work up to that second as that's available. So that wouldn't change if we adopted this language. Just to be clear. But I guess that the question would be if there are one two stall person retires, then two one stall people come in and then they both eventually want two stalls. They can't because there's 18 because there's not any more stalls until someone else moves out. Sure. And then if, but, so. but that's how it normally works already for anyone okay. getting seniority. It's all uh, okay. Sure. I, I see. So if then will someone then that if then someone leaves, then the first dibs goes to the annuals that are already there? Yes. And then if they if anyone if there's anything left over, then that goes to the the new daily, if that's correct. Well, I think it depends. I think it's the reverse of, of what you just said, is that if there's stalls available, they go to the next person who's getting annual status. And then if there's leftover, then people can get an additional stall. 
But the point is that they have to be available. There has to be enough of a surplus because how it works is that when stalls become available, we need two available per person, right? So say there's 16 stalls that came available, we would only offer that to the next eight um, vendors so that there can be the chance to get an additional stall. It doesn't always work that way because not everyone wants that, um, but that's more how it would play out. Mm -hmm. exactly. Okay, so it's more complicated than I understand in terms of how yeah. you advance those. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's all very complicated, <laughs> which makes it complicated to change. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I think we're agreed on the same thing. It's just how are we going to say it is really the sticking point. Are we going to present it as a 13 maximum number of vendors with artisan status, which would in essence be this number? Oh, but, you know, it could also it could also be higher, right? Say if we had 13 vendors with artisan status and they all wanted a second stall, then that would not no longer be 18. So I think that's another reason why people have thrown out this number before. Um, but again, you know, I, I'm just explaining both sides as we were presenting it back last year um, and the reasons why people had put forward each number, so. I'm not sure. Which so let me just summarize. The decision yes. point is uh, whether we want to limit the number of annual artisan vendors or we want to have a limit on the number of stalls that are available for Correct. annual artisan vendors. Correct. Stephanie Willett, you walked us through this before, <laughs> and I think Peter and I would love to get to a place where we aren't revisiting this in another year. Um, so I would like to invite you to add any suggestions. Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> no, it's just it's like, something that it's like such a hard, um, complicated topic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think the fear, like Stephanie was saying, the fear with capping the number of artisans, um, but saying any of them can have two stalls is just that then the potential total number of artisan stalls is higher than 18. It could be yeah. 24, 26, depending if we pick 12. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, we're trying to avoid, I mean, we started off with 12 stalls can be artisan stalls and we like, that's yeah. a big jump um without you know talking about a, a totally different solution like integrating the list or something um and I think we said before we don't want like a huge jump we're trying to avoid that but I do think yeah like I said I think my worry is just over time um it'll become 18 single stalls and then we'll be in the same place and so my personal vote would be um to to cap it at 12 um and then sorry 12 say, 12 vendors 12 12 artists and vendors like it's always been like is in the rules currently um well, but technically just, 13 right now it is 13 right, right. but we never yeah. changed the rules because so, i think like we said we were going to go back to 12 so i would say Go back to 12, which it was originally, but allow everyone to have um, a second stall if they so wanted to. Um, but uh, 
that, you know, that would be my, my vote. Um, but again, it's complicated. There's lots of sides to the story. So, um, I, I just, that would be my vote just because it solves one of the problems permanently, even though it doesn't solve all of them. And yes, there's potential for there to be 24 stalls total if everyone decides they want two stalls that's an artisan. But like Stephanie said, that's not the case right now um, and won't be the case probably for a long time. Um, the only other thing I could see would be to cap it, it, like cap the number of artisans and cap the number of stalls. So, but, but again, that doesn't solve any problems permanently. Yeah, my only negative there is if we say the 12 thing and that's in the rules, but we're currently 13, we're already undermining what we're saying. So like, you know, I hear what you're saying, but it, to me, I just wouldn't be comfortable with that. Because again, if we're going through this whole process to update it so that it matches current practice, if we're going to go there, I think it would need to be 13 um, just based on the way that it currently is. Because again, you know, like it's not going to revert back to 12 until we have somebody retire. Right. right. And then that would mean that that would shut the door immediately on the next person in line that's been waiting patiently too. So I personally don't think that going back to 12 solves this problem at all. Although I do hear what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the reason I would say go back to 12, which is again, kind of unfair to the next person waiting in line. Um, because we said we were going to before when we did the resolution. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, that's what the resolution said we were going to do. That's what we promised we we're going to do when we went through this last time. And the total number of possible artisan cells is 24 and 20 instead of 26. Um, but again, it doesn't reflect what we're currently doing, which is the, right. the 13 vendors. Um, but that was supposed to be a temporary resolution. And we said we were going to go back to 12. So that's all. That's my yeah. two cents. I do remember that too, that that was, I mean, there was a lot of discussion about how to resolve that question and with the idea being that was an exceptional circumstance. And so as to make a a one-time exception, which again, this is this is the danger of one-time exceptions, is exactly. that it causes exactly. future future problems um, as to exactly. well, that it becomes permanent or it doesn't, but then people are. But you said it was temporary, but now it's not. So yeah, I, yeah. And then since that wasn't ever written down, you know, it's like people are going to go by what was in the rules on the one hand, but then they're going to be like, well, wait, why do you have thirteen artisans when it says twelve? You know, there's going to be people already coming up with that question too. Um, well, it wasn't, oh. it isn't an official like resolution that was voted on and passed by PMAC, um, which is in the public records. Sure. But yeah, it's not in like the rules, <laughs> which is what everyone is referring to. So, right. And that's my, yeah. And that's my concern is that we need to have something that's like actually documented in case people ask us, where are you getting this from? We can say right here. Um, because this whole time we've been sort of in this really wild gray area with the sign-in process and it's just a really awkward thing when I have to say oh by the way here's the rules you need to know them and, and learn them and understand them but they're subject to change 
you know, I think that also like all, almost automatically undermines um, the, the authority of the rules sort of beforehand. So that's my concern really too, is that like whatever we say in the rules is actually what we're doing. And we need to really try and get rid of this rift between practice and rules um, as much as possible, even though, you know, I understand where it came from. Yeah, although we had lots of public comment on the resolution, we talked about it for a long time. So a sure. lot of people, people, uh, there there was a lot of participation in, in that process. So well, let me just, you know, remind us of historical context, right? I was looking at the archives uh, when we were talking about the solar thing and I found an article from 1982 where people were talking about their concern that the market was going to be overrun by artisans. Uh, and that did not materialize over that last um, 40 plus year period. So I know it's sort of been a perennial fear, um, but it has not materialized in many different iterations of the rules. Um, so I just did want to remind people that we shouldn't legislate from a place of fear. Um, it really does need to be supported um, by practice, by what we think is best for everyone. Because as I've stated many times on here, that we really need the market to be as accessible and welcoming to everyone as possible. Um, and, you know, I just don't feel comfortable um, with things that go in the opposite direction, especially if we're going through the process of changing a rule. Um, it, it seems to me that we need to be more inclusive, not less so. But, you know, obviously y'all are the ones that vote on that. And I think with like the 12 versus 13, Stephanie, you know, you are the one that is talking to our vendors every day and you have sort of the, the pulse on it. Um, I, and I think that 12 or 13, you know, I would support either one. So. I, 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 I'm in the same boat too. I think actually any of these are within the feasible space. I think one thing too, from like our last meeting too, I just want to make sure that we got it out to people so that they, if there are any final comments that could come through on the final written document, and for if I'm curious if anyone else did hear anything else, I heard nothing. Um, I haven't heard anything. Did anyone else hear on the any comment or about that? Mm. Okay, so that's that's that implies too that we're. I I, I take that as that we're kind of in a space of equivalence. In terms of that, there's we're in that kind of that the gray middle area where things are kind of roughly equivalent, um, which is sometimes hard to decide which which shade of gray you want. Uh, but that it's 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 domesticated gray. So right. Okay. So <laughs> what I'm hearing is that uh, there that we've mostly been talking about the cap on the number of artisans. And I hear that um, Stephanie Stauffer is suggesting that we um, uh, change it to 13, have that, but should we take out the limit on the number of stalls that can be assigned to annual artisans? And, and, I, I think so that we don't have to revisit this issue again, I, I I would suggest that we take out that clause and we just say, here's the limit on the number of annual artisans. 
and that those annual artisans can apply for, can request um, up to two stalls. Just to problematize a little more, I actually prefer the way that it's currently written on the document that it's screen, being screen shared, because I think that doesn't get into the murk of this and it solves that problem of like, are you 12, are you 13? This is the cutoff. And this to me seems like it's a more inclusive way to go about it, right? And again, it comes back to many artisans don't want two stalls because it's more costly. They have a lower volume of sales proportionally, oftentimes, right? Some of their sales are bigger ticket items. It probably, of course, it depends on the vendor. Um, but if we're talking about sort of like, you know, artisan products that are non-tangible, like non-soap things, um, I think that's part of it. I mean, I don't know, right. Tiani will, will want a second stall, but of all the, the four daily artisans, nobody else uses a second stall. Um, and they could as a daily, there's no cap on them doing anything. Um, if the space is available, right. And that's the other thing we need to remind ourselves, like this is just them being assigned these stalls, right? This doesn't have anything to do with what they will be using day of during that market day, right? Which comes back to the crux of this problem is that we had people that were paying for a second stall using a second stall, just not allowed to have it be assigned. Um, so I don't know, I had thought sort of that, like when we talked about this before, that the way C is written was the consensus. So, you know, it seems slightly different to me that now we're back to this 12 versus 13 thing. Maybe that's my mis misunderstanding of it. Um, but that's kind of where I thought we were in November, which is why this is written this way. Um, I have um, an idea and it might not help, but um, <laughs> would, <laughs> I mean, I think like I was saying, you know, the fear is, eventually it gets up to 18 and then some people need second cells and we don't have room again. Um, is there a way for like during the stall assignment process to say if an artisan that has two permanent cells retires, one of those permanent stalls is, you know, we offer that or hold it aside for a second permanent self for an artisan, um, kind of tackle, tackle the problem in that area, as opposed to trying to limit the number of artisans total that um, can, can have permanent cells. Does that make sense? It does. I actually like that idea. Well, so, that's what Stephanie said. That's how it was, or is that not how it is? Well, well, um, so what happens is like, if there is one, if there's one stall that's open, it goes to um, the next daily vendor they get first. And then if there's like, say two stalls that are open, one goes to a daily vendor and then one goes to, um, as a possibility for another annual vendor to select it as their second stall. But it's a daily producer, right? Because right, right now, nobody of who's an artisan is moving up because of this cap we've put, right. right? So, and remember the reason that the cap was put or the reason that the cap was expanded was so that people that had been at the market at least 25 years 
-hmm. could get their annual status. Whereas concurrently, remember that a producer to get annual status, it's about a five-year turnover on average. Right. So that is the crux of the So I'm saying like, you know, keeping the, the 18 the way you like it, um, but making sure that there's an even, I'm not sure how you would have to write it or do it, but like an even chance for a daily to move up versus an annual to select a second stall. I just think because the process for assigning stalls favors a daily getting an annual stall over an annual vendor selecting a second stall um, just because the dailies go first. And then if there's, does that, sorry, not saying this well. Um, That's what you're saying. I just worry that that keeps it this compartmentalized thing and almost like makes the lists even more separate by saying, you know, there's spot open, but it's only available for this category of vendor versus that category of vendor. I feel like that's like what we already have been doing. Um, Although, you know, I understand what you mean, but I don't know. Is a tough one. And remember too, like the 18 number, like that came from the count of current annual vendors using the amount of stalls that they're currently using as well. So that was also kind of a stopgap for that. So it would be including what we're doing right now in the rules instead of what we're doing sort of still being an anomaly that may or may not revert back to 13 or 12 or what have you. Mm -hmm. but perhaps we need to think on this more and table (laughs) it till next time because it seems like this is definitely undecided we thought we were closer to decision making than perhaps maybe we were um on this and that could be the debate right the three options go back to 12 cap it just say two stall annuals don't even say anything about the amount of stalls option two Cap it at 13, same thing. Don't say anything about max number of stalls or option three, have this, this thing that does not discuss a cap of specific vendor numbers, but has instead the cap on stalls. And then I think, you know, we can reconvene and actually perhaps vote. Um, and, you know, it would be nice also to tab out to have Eric be able to um, chime in on this vote too. So perhaps maybe we should push that vote of those three specific options um, till next time. I think that makes sense. I think that does clarify it. I think that's a really helpful way to break it out into three distinct branches. And two, after this conversation too, actually, I am now kind of coming back to as it's written being, because I think it does seem like from a shopper's perspective, I'm, I would rather have more diversity. And so if you did have that that outcome, which is a little constraining, if we did have 18 annual artisans with all one one booth, then I get a lot of selection. I get a lot of variety. Um, and that seems like kind of a win. Um, uh, so that that it, I could see that being causing friction of terms of people wanting two or one and how that could go. But just from a purely self-centered shopping view, shopper viewpoint, it does seem like having, uh, you know, all the tables full, having a bunch of of, sure. of diversity of artisan offerings in there would be cool. Um, that'd be great. Uh, versus having fewer, 
but bigger artisans, I, if given that if all other things being equal, I would choose more diversity versus bigger. Um, so, or more, more tables for each individual. Um, not that there's any magic thing there, but that's, that's kind of where I'm leaning. So. Stephanie, when you write up the notes, can you make sure those three options are in there so yeah. we can, it'll rattle our brains when we re, re, review the they're notes. They're already there. Okay. <laughs> perfect, perfect. But they're already there. Cool. Great. All right. Um, so now we're to, uh, so are we, are we good with that? discussion where we're at. Okay. So now we need to go to the subcommittee updates. And the first one is the producer only one. So I'm not expecting the producer only subcommittee to have met because it was the holidays. Okay. Um, but if you have updates of any kind, this would be the time. Uh, no, I was going to say that that's me. I dropped the ball on that one. Um, yeah. It was the holidays and it did was, not yeah. get that done. Um, so I don't have anything to report. I apologize. Um, it's okay, but it happens. You know, we'll be, we'll be looking forward to it. Great. 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 And then the next one is the bylaws that I dropped the ball on, but Peter ran with it. So yeah. he's going to do the update. <laughs> he picked it up and ran with it. So let me share my screen to show you the document that he just shared with me. Give me one moment and thank you, Peter, for putting this together. So what you're, you're going to be looking at now is Peter's uh, notes about the history of updates of the bylaws, as well as the 2013 updates um, that he would like to see done to that version. So, And so hopefully we can add this, this document into the notes for the next packet, too, so we'll have it out in yep. public record, too. Um, Yep. But yeah, so I wanted to touch base with this. I, I mean, it seems like generally about every 10 years that an organization like this should revisit its bylaws and make sure that they're consistent with current actions and with what our mission is and understanding our mission. I feel sometimes it's easy to kind of drift from what our true intention, what we are established for, or at least do, we don't have a clear definition of what our intention is. So making sure that we fit well with that. Uh, for us, the last time our bylaws were passed was in 2013, um, and that was kind of a big time because that was when we were starting to integrate into parks and recreation, and so that uh, there was a big organizational change within that. So just to give you a sense of kind of some of the things that can change with this, I've listed out some of these things here, which is you know, a name change. They changed it. The committee changed from nine to five members. They added a conflict of interest, which they didn't have, which is important. Um, more specific meeting procedures and organizational things for talking about the parks and recreation because that was a, a key part. Um, so within that, that's how things have been. And that was a, 10 years ago uh, when that was last revisited. Um, so then reading through the bylaws, I don't know if you've had a chance to read through our bylaws. I have a link here for this and you'll see that in the document for it. It's on legislature from the 2013. So note too that Legislars, this incredibly useful resource of it is our kind of digital history of how these pieces work together. And it's cool because you can go back to meeting after meeting after meeting and see the documentation of what was created, what was changed and why and when. So it's a useful resource for all of us as commissioners to mine and also for everyone out in the public to, to go out and see it's public information and you can see what was decided when and why, who chose what and what was going on. So it is 
the mechanism through which all of that is shared. Um, so it's it's worth a, a little bit of a wonky curiosity, but it's worth reading through and seeing where it is. Um, in when I look through it, I found a few issues that could potentially be addressed. Um, if you could scroll down, Stephanie. Sure. Um, that they're essentially these things are uh, points in which I can see some benefit coming from this. Um, one of them was something that actually I would keep, I've asked a number of times, like I've been on this committee for quite a while. And there was this on the membership of this, that there are no, no clear things of term limits or reappointment. Um, and so that's fine, but we should, it does seem like that's something that should be easily amended to actually say whether that's true or not. Right now, it's just ambiguous. Yep. Um, the other ones though, I think are a little bit more, uh, serious, something I think we should address of, of sooner or two that like second point is that there's a requirement for an annual disclosure of organizational affiliations. So essentially what are you associated with and how is it a conflict? I don't think we've ever done that. Um, and so that's, it seems like a good procedure. I can see that. Um, and it seems like that would be. Good. I don't know how much that's going to change, but the kind of the question here is, what do we do about that? Do we start doing it, which might be the thing, or do we act it because we never do it? So do we, again, same thing like with the artisan thing. Do we be how to be consistent with how we're doing it, or we change our behavior? Um, those are choices. Um, Ste Stephanie and Peter, do you know in terms of the other commissions if they actually have a procedure to do this annual disclosure? Um, because that that almost seems like it's city language that got put in there. I I know from other conversations with people on planning and zoning, they do, and that it's it is a reaction to um, people having vested interests that were undisclosed, um, and so that that it became a kind of boilerplate policy to go through that. And again, in other areas, it's really really you know, there are huge financial gains to be done if you, you know, to disclose is important and the people sometimes have a tendency to, or an incentive to hide. Um, I don't see that on this committee, but it's, yeah. I guess, conceivable. Um, it doesn't seem hard. I assume it's just like a sheet we send out every year and we say, list all your affiliations and list whether it's a potential conflict of interest. And then we'll put it yeah. somewhere. The only thing is I don't know what the mechanism in terms of like who takes that what do they do with it? And is it something that we all get? Is it something that just goes to the market manager? Is it something that goes to someone, the mayor? I don't know that. It, it, it seems like it, it might go to the city, but that's why I was asking about other procedures is, yeah, we can sign them, but what happens to the, the documents? Yeah, I can check with the clerk's office um, because they're the ones that help facilitate our facilitation of boards and commissions. Um, so I will reach out to them to, because I'm sure they have answers for us. It'll be incredibly useful. Yeah, because I think that is, I think we have a lot of possibility to learn from other organizations and that I think we can, it'll help us do our job better. Um, and so I think that's, that we can lean on the city for helping us with that too, so. But we are um, a little different too, because like having vendors on here, is that a conflict of interest? I mean, obviously it's not because we want that input, but like, I think that flows into what you're saying the next time or the point three is, you know, is that something that is overlapping in a way that 
we haven't really vetted or we don't have a specific plan to approach them. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's the third point is that a member cannot be a petitioner. And so if someone is a vendor and they do have an issue or something to petition to the group, what do they do? And that it's right now just that they, they can't be. But at the same time, we have to have members who are annual and daily members. <laughs> so right. there's yeah. a direct conflict. And I don't know how to address that. Um, there's no mechanism listed in the bylaws as to how we address that. Um, they can recuse themselves, but that, that's not, yeah. then that doesn't, that doesn't mean they can be a petitioner based on this. And that seems wrong. Um, yeah. And on the other hand, like we want their input, we want them to be petitioners. So perhaps the, the solution is maybe just even striking this um, from the bylaws, because again, it makes a lot of sense in other uh, settings, but not so much for us when we are built around um, vendor input. Exactly. Exactly. So again, that might be something else to ask with the city too, because in yeah. the, the lawyers, would they be, well, no, you have to, there's some, for some reason, there's some magic language in there that says we must, or that there's, there's, there's a solution that palatable to them. So, yeah. And Stephanie, when you do that, please remind them how small this commission is too, because it's tiny compared to the other ones. So if they yeah. say, well, they can just recuse themselves, then we don't have quorum. Yeah, well, they actually, they do say in the thing about if recusing and quorum, the quorum then is assigned by based on all the non-recused members. Uh, uh, okay, so they do you. have a mechanism to deal with that. Thank you. And so then the last one too is this uh, non-voting working meetings. In terms of again, based on my history with this thing, we've had very almost all the working meetings has have been in the meetings. All the working, all the meetings have been the working meetings. And that there is possibility to gain more traction, to move faster, to address things better um, with non-voting ones. But I think getting clarification or better, just some even experience from other committees in terms of how to structure those. And it, I'm I'm very hesitant with some of that because I don't want to violate open meetings. And yeah. so I need to know. It's like we need, I keep thinking it's like we need a handbook. We need a, like an FAQ of something that's specific for a new member comes in. It's like, here's kind of some of your, the things that we can do and here's how it can go and what needs to help, but how that needs to happen. Um, and I was never given that and I just kind of gleaned some of it, but it would be nice to kind of lean on, stand on the shoulders of giants. There are other people who do a lot more of this and they can guide us, I think, to be more productive in that way. So. So that's a structural thing. So that's something I've been researching and I'll continue to research too in terms of reaching out to other committees and seeing how their mechanisms operate so that we can um, kind of comport ourselves with that same, some of that same style is to make sure too that we're not falling afoul of any, any legal requirements for and making, you know, I, I, I want to be as transparent as we possibly can. I don't want to have anything be in secret. It's all about making it available, but also I do want to get work done. <laughs> how can we do that? Um, and right. there are ways. We just need to make sure that we do it properly. Yeah, and I think many commissions have a, a like planning beginning of the year planning meeting that's not yeah. public. They they and they just spell out the priorities for the year too. And again, is that public? It may be public actually. And but again, I don't know. I think it so is public actually. Yeah. Um, so making sure that we're 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 clear about how that is and structuring how those go. Um, so and that's a useful thing with this this whole process of 
exploring through these bylaws is that it's like, oh, wait, there are all these mechanisms that are in place for us to use. Um, but if I don't, if we don't understand how to use them, then that's, they're not really doing us any good. Um, so learning how to, how to leverage them and use them, um, I think is, will serve us well. Yeah, I mean, most of my knowledge about this comes from being on the Greenbelt Commission prior um, to working at the market. And for them, really, the only thing that was off record was, you know, financial conversations that were closed door sessions. Um, but everything else was done publicly. And there would be subcommittee meetings that weren't being recorded. And then again, like the report out is the way that it becomes part of the public meeting, at least in my understanding. And I think too, some of those, they have to, if they're not recorded, they still can be public announced in a public place so people can participate. It's not that they're yeah. done in secret in back rooms when nobody knows, so. Exactly. Yeah. So what I wanted to ask of folks too, is that um, are there, if I want a request for the next, before the next meeting that people actually go through and read through the bylaws, see if there are any points that you think could be used clarification, other things that are confusing or things that again, kind of as these, sections show that it's like we could leverage that or I don't know what that is or we don't do that. Um, a specific, if there are uh, even within these four specific language changes that might be, and that's going to be a tricky one, both I think it's worth proposing, but I know that legal will, this kind of is where we have to interface with more of the legal yeah. structure to make sure that we're not getting any problems there. Um, and also just this question too, with this, what people, the the committee's thing, this idea from a more pragmatic uh, PMAC member FAQ. Um, yeah. Yeah. So if you start thinking through that. Um, so those are things kind of for some next steps for us. Mm -hmm. um, go to the next page. Yep. So there's just I'm a little bit more just a, a historical stuff too to show our context. This is actually from uh, the Parks and Recs. Um, description. I, I, I like everything better in pictures than in text, so I drew that as a picture. Um, and so trying to define kind of what PMAC is and who we report to and who, who, who reports to us, kind of. It's like an org chart in this way. And that, you know, we, we report to the city council and the mayor and we report to the market manager in that way. These are our kind of connections and we represent the community, market customers, vendors, they feed into our body. And then the market manager in terms of works in the market within parks and recreation. And it's interesting if you look at the subgroups of things that the market is associated with, it's it's an odd group. I mean, it's, I mean, it, it's you know, swing pools and Facilities. cobblestone yeah. farms and senior centers. And it's, it's a kind of mixed bag in there, which I think is relevant for us to know too, in terms of when we're requesting funding or infrastructure and what, what are we classified as? What is, what is, Parks and Recreation think that the market is, and that in what is what kind of priority do we would we stand in that? So, uh, kind of understanding the language of the organization in which we operate uh, or in which we advise, um, I think is is helpful in that way. Um, and if you scroll yeah. down, mm -hmm. there's a little bit more descriptions. Of, actually, these are from Parks and Recreation as to what they define us as being in their little spiel with this. Um, so it, it's interesting to see where where those go. So just to, again, learning kind of what, putting ourselves in in context. And so- Yeah, and I just wanted to add that there's been a little bit of a change 
to this flowchart up here based on the new deputy manager being hired. My direct boss is actually the parks and recreation manager, um, whereas they, they've split it up sort of. So some of the facilities now are directly under deputy manager. Some of the facilities are directly under parks and rec. Um, and that's just a change based on a new hire um, for deputy manager. So in essence, we're straight to the, the, the top without um, the middle. So, okay. And so does that have similar. does that have impact in terms of how you operate or how how we're the in terms well, of your experience? It's mainly that my boss, who was the deputy manager, was promoted. Um, and because the market is such a strange animal in the mixture of all the other facilities, um, you know, he had all the knowledge about our strange, <laughs> you know. <laughs> grant reporting stuff for adult food bucks and things that don't really fall under the wheelhouse of the new deputy manager who does have a very strong athletics um, background. So I think that's potentially part of it. Um, but, you know, it's hard to describe specifically, you know, who's under which management. There is also a new, um, so NAP kind of is sort of a combined a little bit more um, with, acquisitions and the green belt in a way that it wasn't before so there is some you know changes going on here uh with that said you know we're going to be working very closely moving forward with nap and the new green belt on this buy protect cell um program which is very exciting if you haven't heard about it yet um it's a way to get farmland both protected and put in the hands of beginning um and diverse and underserved farmers and we're going to be giving support in terms of plugging those farmers into the market um, and other, you know, potential for growth of their businesses. So we had a meeting about that earlier today. So if that gives any more context, so things have gotten a little more complex due to uh, different hirings and different retirements. Um, but in essence, yeah, similar. But so, I'm glad to hear that too. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Stephanie, so, uh, Peter's beautiful chart. So everything in the gray box is now under the deputy manager. And then you have a straight line to the, the parks manager. Not everyone. They, they, they divided it. So some okay. facilities are directly to parks and rec manager. Some facilities are deputy manager and some are to Remy, who is a, sort of the supervisor or the manager of like NAP, which okay. was a position that did not exist before. Um, so he's new to that within the last year. So it's, it's hard to describe without going into a large explanation about the structure of parks. Um, but it is a way of kind of sharing resources and making sure that the new deputy manager can learn all the sites. Um, but for us, it's simply because, you know, Josh already knows all the stuff about market and it's very complex. Um, and again, not really like any of the other parks facilities. Uh, so I think that's partly why. Um, but for example, I can tell you the senior center is still under the deputy manager. Um, I think cobblestone might be under the parks. I would have to look if you're curious. It doesn't really impact us <laughs> too much here. Um, but yes, if you're curious, I could give you more information. I cobblestone think was one of the other places I was wondering about just because it, it may have some parallel functions um, to the farmer's market. So. Which does, I didn't hear what you said. Which Sorry? One? I didn't hear what you said. Which side? Yeah, I, I mean, cobblestone is the one mm. that I, I think of as, as maybe having some analogous functions 
to the farmer's market? Well, I mean, they did when they had a farmer's market, uh, but now it's much more event rentals. So yeah, we work with them a lot on, they're the same people that oversee all parks rentals, including rentals of the market. So, you know, these are not all siloed. You know, there is a lot of cross pollination and work across multiple, like we partnered with the senior center, as you saw in the annual report on trying to raise awareness on our um, senior project brush and other senior access programs. Um, so there's a lot, a lot of overlap. I actually had one question too, which I couldn't find, which is where the artisan market, the Sunday artisan market, who, who oversees that? It's not a city entity. They rent so, the space from us. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No. So, so they're basically whole... like a parks rental. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yep. yep. Yes. Separate entity. But yes, people are confused about that all the time. They think we also run it, um, which is partly why I've added a lot of information on our website about how artisan folks can access that market. Also, anytime there's someone that applies to us who's an artisan, I pretty much just send them directly to that market, which is another good valve for us making sure that we won't be having, you know, more artisans than um, food producers at the market. But that's an interesting model too, in terms of it's like that we rent out the whole space to uh, someone regularly. It's like, you could have a Tuesday market, you have a Monday market, you could have a, a Thursday market of different specific subgroups of things that would be I know it's it's interesting because we don't that those that's the only stable other thing that we have other than our sure. own use. Um, it is also unique though because their market manager in a separate role works for Parks. She actually works for Cobblestone. Oh, interesting. Um, it's but it, that's sort of a coincidence. But that's another reason why it's sort of a special situation because she is connected to all the broader Parks um, entities. But but officially. Um, so that's partly why, you know, like it's different. We're, we're able to share space with them in a way that we couldn't with something that was just, you know, a, a rental, if that makes sense. All right. All right. Yeah. So that's what I've got. So if people could Great. look through that document and look through the bylaws and uh, we can discuss a little bit more next time and see, I'll, I'll come back with a little bit more research too, and we'll see if we can craft something that might bring us up to date. So. Great. Great. Peter, thanks for putting all that together. So. Happy to. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. That was great. Um, so we are running out of time and we do have two things left. One is the second public comment and then the other would be according to the calendar of how we're supposed to do this. Um, it, it's time again for board uh, officer elections. So I know what we did the last time, we just sort of threw out who's going to be the chair and vice chair nominations, and then people sent me their vote via email. Um, and if that works for people, um, we could do that again. That, that's also another way that we can make it easier for Eric to participate. Um, but I don't know if people have a floor pitch, if we want to change, if there's changes people want to do, if people want to nominate whoever, if we want to keep it as it is. Um, and if you think that's not enough time, we can also table this whole conversation till next meeting too. It's up to y'all. I, 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 I don't have strong opinions. The one thing that um, I thought was great that, that Stephanie Willett asked for last year is sort of people's willingness 
<laughs> um, and if they had conflicts coming up. Um, so I, I guess if we could just do, if anybody wants to share out anything uh, real quick, um, that, that let's do that and then we can move to public comment. So um, I don't have strong feelings. Yeah, I don't have strong feelings either. I would not like to be an officer uh, this year, I would say, because um, I've already spoken to Stephanie about, I don't think I'm going to be um, staying on the commission too much longer. I think this summer I'm going to just kind of try and focus on business and family and stuff. So I'm not sure how many more meetings I'll be attending. Um, so I would not be wanting to be an officer. And Jeff? I would not like to be an officer, but um, I mean, I, I would could if I had to be, but uh, I got a lot of, I have a lot of family. Uh, I got five daughters. <laughs> That's all enough said. That's all you got to say. Of varying ages, yes. Okay. So, Lisa, would you be interested in in running for a second term? Uh, I I am open. <laughs> I don't I don't have strong feelings. We can battle it out, Peter, if we want. <laughs> well, I would I, like I to nominate Lisa for the chair. <laughs> Thank you, <Peter. laughs> and and I'll nominate <laughs> Peter for the vice chair. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds right. good. This is going to be a. a, a, a I'm excited to see how the vote's going to go. <laughs> and then we can always, when I send the email out, we can always uh, ask Eric. Yes, like yes, yes. Throw yes. his hat in the ring too. Be delighted. Yes. <laughs> Great. So then I'll just send an email out saying these are the nominees. Eric, would you like to join? Send me your vote, um, and then we will go from there. Great. All right, so I think that means we are at public comment. Are there any people that would like to give a comment? I am not seeing anyone. Okay, so there was just one thing that I just wanted to bring up in new business, which we skipped over and I'll keep this really quick. Oh, um, I was right. listening to the the PAC meetings, so the, the park mm -hmm. meetings and, um, a question came up about some of the grants they were applying for and whether some of that funding could apply to the Ann Arbor Farmers Market. One of the, the commissioners brought that up. And Josh said that, and this was in October, that he was going to come back to us to talk about needs for the market. And so I just wanted okay. to mention that so we could all start thinking about that and, and um Stephanie, you did a nice job summarizing in our November notes that we had talked about having, you know, either Hillary or Josh come to talk to us because my understanding is there's a lot of grant money out there now that that we could could explore um, for looking at the winterization infrastructure project, and um, I, I would like to 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 explore those grant options before. <laughs> before the money goes away and before we don't have Debbie Stavenow again, being a big advocate for local food in Michigan in particular. Right. All right. I can follow up with him. That would be lovely. 
Any other items? I think hearing none. Uh, we can move to adjourn and it's 7.08 and I want to thank everybody for all their hard work. Thank you all. Thank you. Great. Thanks everyone. Thank you. Bye.